Oh, Father in heaven, we thank thee, Lord, for your presence with us already this morning in the message of the miraculous birth of the forerunning events to that and how Jesus and his cousin John the Baptist were so close together in proximity, even as babes. And your miracles never ceased and never ceased to amaze us, especially for the miracle of the rebirth. And we pray, Lord, that as we would look into your word this afternoon, that you would speak to our hearts and teach us from thy word. And may, may this just be the voice of a messenger as your word is expounded. Open our hearts. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. With the Lord's help, I'd like to stick with the book of Luke. The book of Luke, let's turn to chapter 19. The book of Luke. The gospel according to St. Luke. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus which was a chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying, that he hath gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to the house, to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. I have read up to and including verse 10. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. I wasn't supposed to be preaching today, Brother Eric was, but he's in Ancaster, so since I will not be here next week, um, the Lord laid upon my heart just this morning, perhaps we need to look at Zacchaeus. Not because it's Zacchaeus that is the main focus of this uh, chapter, but because of every important principle that we need to um, apply in our lives. Especially for those that are seeking. Seeking Jesus as Zacchaeus was. We all know the story, the little children can sing it for us with emphasis and actions. 
But somehow, somewhere, Zacchaeus heard about this man from Galilee, this rabbi that was born in Bethlehem, but he lived in Galilee in the town of Nazareth. And then later on, it appears that he had transferred his household to Capernaum and lived amongst uh, the disciples from that area near Bethsaida, Capernaum, all along the northern uh, coast of the Lake of Galilee. And he heard, and, and you know, if, as we studied the Gospels um, recently and in times past, we know that Jesus, there were three sort of phases of his life. You know, his beginnings, then his year of popularity when he created, when he uh, performed all these miracles and he became very popular very quickly. And then the third phase when he became very unpopular because of the jealousy of the Pharisees, Sadducees, the scribes and Jews that they incited. But here we see Jesus coming um, through Jericho and he meets this man Zacchaeus that had heard about the fame of Jesus likely. And he was not a, only a publican but a chief of the publicans. He was a chief tax collector, very much uh, abhorred by the Jews because they considered him an enemy of Israel. He served the Romans, the Roman government. And not only so, he served himself. As we can tell in um, his confession later on, as, as we have already read. But he wanted to see this Jesus, something about Jesus really pricked his heart and he wanted to find out who this man was. I'm sure his life wasn't um, all the same even though he had much money, he was wealthy. Many of the publicans became very wealthy because of taking more than they should have taken. And it wasn't enough to satisfy him, I'm just speculating, but I, I believe that the evidence is here because he pursued Jesus to find out more about this rabbi and he ran before him because he was a short man he thought maybe Jesus couldn't notice him as short as he was in the throng in the crowd and he went up into a sycamore tree because he knew that that's where he was going to pass he headed him off at the pass if you will and as Jesus passed by he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, from the, for today I must abide at thy house. Now that one itself was a miracle. Because Jesus knew him by name. I remember um, I was once in Woodcliffe Lake. We had an elders meeting there on a Saturday night. And after the service, a brother had a sermon. And we all filed out because... Uh, to allow the congregation to greet the elders as we were passing by. And I came to where the center doors are, that's behind it, and there was Brother Philip Reinhardt, uh, Brother Willie's brother. He was standing there with a man, and uh, somehow he got into a conversation that 
I was in Italy, Italy when I was a young boy. I was two and a half months, sorry, two and a half years old. And somehow we got into Italy and he said to me, his name was Jacob Hildenbrandt. He was the, brother, the cousin of Sister Barbara. And I said, I was in Italy at this and this time, 1959. He stuck out his hand and he said to me, Kakosi Dragane. How are you, Dragon? Doug. And it just blew me away. I said, where do you know me from? He says, I was in Italy with you. We came through Italy with Dusko Yevramov. We went to visit all the refugees in all the camps, Aversa, Latina, um, uh, Trieste, and there's one more I forget, but there was at least four camps here, and he came to visit us. He took pictures. Uh, he recorded me as a little kid singing Marina Marina, and... Um, he also met my mother and father there. We got a tape recording of their conversation. But it blew me away that he knew my name, and that was like probably 45 years prior that he met me. Now, I'm sure Brother Philip mentioned my name, so he knew that. But I don't think this was a setup that Jesus would see Zacchaeus in the tree and say, Come down, Zacchaeus. Jesus, I mean, he was around when the worlds were formed, when the worlds were created. He created the worlds. He created the earth that we stand on, that Zacchaeus uh, stood on and the, and the trees that Zacchaeus was up in. He knew who Zacchaeus was. Just like when he went through Samaria, he had an appointment with a Samaritan woman. And so that should have been enough to shock Zacchaeus. To say, how do you know my name? Remember the Nathaniel? He was under the fig tree. And Jesus went up to him. And he told him the story about the, was it the ladder? Angels going up and down. And he says, how do you know me? Because I knew you before you were under that fig tree, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. He didn't, he didn't know, where did he know me from? He says, verily, this is an Israelite in whom there is no guile. Right? So there are things about Jesus we know and things about Jesus we don't know. But the miracle is that Jesus knows us. And the miracle is that God knows us. He knows our every thought. He knows who we are. He knows us inside and out. That's something that the devil doesn't know. The devil is not omniscient. The devil is not omnipresent. The devil has to send his demons out to do his work. But God can be everywhere and anywhere, and he can hear anything and see everything. Uh, Hebrews, I believe, 4 says that we are naked before we, whom we, with, with whom we have to do. He can see through us like an x-ray. And so <clears throat> Zacchaeus was intrigued because Jesus said to him then, Zacchaeus, hurry up, make haste, come down, for today I must stay with you. Abide at your house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Why was he receiving him joyfully? There's a clue. 
because he was looking for Jesus to give him something that he never had because he heard so many other stories so many other accounts around about him and he said and when they saw it the crowd saw it they all murmured not much unlike uh, Luke chapter 15 four chapters before the Pharisees and the scribes were murmuring when Jesus was eating with with scribes and, and, and with um, sinners and publicans so Jesus gives him the story of the, the, the lavish feast that the father gave to his repentant son when he came back. The prodigal son that we, we call it. That he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. I'm going to give him back four times that I took illegally. And he knew how much he took. He was doing that probably every time he's at the poll booth, at the tax booth. You've got to give so many denarii, but... You better give me some more. I'll report you to the Roman police. And uh, he felt guilt. He felt guilt, and I'm sure he felt shame. But it wasn't hard for him to do it at this point in time. Because he had already felt this great weight upon him, and he was just waiting for Jesus to manifest himself to him. It was very quick. He was ripe for the picking. And what did Jesus say? This day is salvation come to this house for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man didn't come to condemn for the Son of Man didn't come to judge. For the Son of Man didn't come to, to, to put people down. But he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And you will see this phrase at least two or three times in the Gospel of Luke. For the Son of Man has came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his mission. That's why he was born in a, in a manger. That's why he was born to, to Mary through the Spirit, Holy Spirit. Not to be a cute baby in a manger and stay there, but to grow up and one day that his mom, as we heard this morning, would be pierced through with many sorrows. Like a sword will pierce through her soul. What, what she would see and witness firsthand would happen to her son. And the question here is, what did Jesus really tell Zacchaeus and to the people that were listening and watching? You have now been saved. Salvation has come to this house. The question is, what was that based on? Because Zacchaeus said, I'm going to return the things that I've taken by false accusation? 
Jesus said it. No, it wasn't that. But he got it from what he said. He said, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. The son of Abraham doesn't do it either. Because the Jews, if you go to John chapter 8, is it? He said, we be not born of fornication. You know, we have Abraham to our father. Jesus said, if you, Abraham was your father, why didn't you believe him? If I remember correctly. He said, you're of your father, the devil. So, is it because Zacchaeus was of the linear descent from Abraham? Or was it something else that Jesus wanted to show about Abraham that we also have to have? If you want to find out more about Abraham, the commentary is in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. The Apostle Paul spends a whole chapter on Abraham and how Abraham was not justified by works but by faith. Abraham didn't earn his salvation. Abraham was given, if the Bible says, righteousness was imputed to him because he believed what God said. And so all the children of Abraham, the spiritual children of Abraham, which Roman calls the, the, the children of promise. You know, when you talk about Esau and Jacob in Romans chapter 9, he talked about the spirit of promise versus the spirit of, of the bondwoman, Hagar. The analogies given in Galatians 2, the allegory that Ishmael did not, um, inherit the blessings that, that uh, Isaac and Jacob inherited because they wouldn't, Ishmael was not from, you know, um, the line of Rebekah and Sarah, if you will, and Abraham, should I say. Ishmael was born to Hagar, who was apparently an Egyptian, but it's not so much that it was the race, it was so much because this was the the child of promise that came through this line that would bring the Messiah, which is what happened. Jesus came through the lineage of both Joseph and Mary, both through Abraham. But it wasn't just the flesh and blood. It was being a child of the promise was to believe God, to obey God, and to be justified because of our faith. So what Jesus is saying is Zacchaeus, because he believed me, salvation has come to his house. So what does uh, giving fourfold have to do with it? What has restitutions got to do with it you know there are many people that want to get baptized they want to get baptized and you can see it all over the place where they they want to get baptized so they raise their hand they sign a card they walk down the aisle 
But in many cases, what is lacking? What is lacking? You know, I know of, of people that, friends that I had back in Australia, even here in Canada, there are those that I know of that when they die, the pastor would like to give some good words concerning their life, the good deeds that they have performed. in hopes that it will somehow lift the moods and, and give some glimmer of hope that this person was good. And when he died, he went to heaven. We all look for that, don't we? When someone dies, we look for the... any ounce, any minutia of hope that somehow in his last breaths he would have confessed Jesus Christ. And as much as he may have done a lot of good works and he may have done a lot of good things in his life, that is not the gospel. You go to Corinthians chapter 13. He said, if I give my body to be burned, if I speak with tongues of angels, if I do all these things, if I give all my wealth to the poor, it profits me nothing. I'm saying that because just recently there was someone that I really looked up to as a human being back in Australia. And I watched the funeral service. And I was just hoping to hear something out of what was said during that funeral service. There's a lot of things that were not right, that were not good, that I heard. I was just hoping to hear something. That's human. That's, that's a humanness in me. Because you really loved the guy. And there was something, but I, I don't know if it meets the gospel message. Salvation comes through a faith in the shed blood, in the works of Christ on the cross, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Accepting that as the payment or the ransom for my sin. That's what the Bible calls confession is made unto salvation. For with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. A confession is made unto salvation. What do you confess? That Jesus is my Lord. That Jesus is my sacrifice. That Jesus is the payment for my sin. And that I will follow and Jesus is going to be my Lord. Now, we don't know what people say when they die. 
We don't, we're not at their bedside. We don't hear what they say. God knows. But what, does, what do we as pastors and ministers look for? We look for fruit. When John the Baptist was baptizing on the River Jordan and the scribes and Pharisees came out out of curiosity to say, who is this person that everyone is flocking to? They came to, to check him out. Maybe to report him to Herod. And they came to him to get baptized. Maybe they wanted to go through the motions to see that. Yep, he did it to me. I have the... He says, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You generation of vipers. Bring forth therefore fruit, meat for repentance. And then come and ask to be baptized. So while we believe, we say we believe in Jesus... How much do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in that he is? Many people believe that God is. Many people that Jesus was. The Muslims believe that Jesus was. But what do you believe about him? Like Jesus said to the, to the disciples on the way to... <clears throat> um, Caesarea in Syria I believe it was whatever the, the city was up there he stopped and he asked the disciples who do men say that I am some say you're this prophet some say you're that prophet some say you're John the Baptist but who do you say that I am you've been with me for two three years who do you say that I am who am I to you then Peter said thou art the Christ the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He was deity. And Jesus said, Simon by Jonah, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father who is in heaven, which is in heaven. If we want to get baptized, are we willing to do what Christ asked us to do? What did he say was going to happen to him right after that uh, discussion with, with Peter? He said, I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. I'll be delivered by the scribes and the Pharisees and, and I will be killed. And Peter said, no, Lord, that's not going to happen to you. Listen to me. Follow me. I'm telling you what's you're not going to do. Was he his Lord? Was he at that point in his time? Jesus, was he Peter's Lord? Was Peter willing to serve or did he want, to, did he want Jesus to follow him? Was he going to follow Jesus or was Jesus going to follow him? We know what happened in the end. Jesus sees Peter near the Sea of Galilee. He says, you come follow me. What about this man? What's it to you if he doesn't see death until I come again? But you follow me. Jesus said, if any man, and he said this to Peter, he that loves his life shall lose it. And he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. And you need to 
Take up your cross and follow me. You need to be my disciple. And if you're my disciple, you'll obey me, what I, was, what I, what I am going to instruct you and what I have instructed you to do. So, let's summarize. When we want to get baptized, have we gone to all extents to bring forth fruit meat for repentance? Because I keep on hearing it. How come I'm not getting baptized? Are you like Zacchaeus? Do you have things that you owe to other people? That you know you owe to other people? Or that you know you stole? Whether it was blatantly or somehow didn't repay what you needed to repay? You know, uh, I'm not sure where this was, but I remember listening to these ministers' conference tapes way back when in the 1970s. I got a feeling it was in Mansfield where certain brothers were confessing during these ministers meetings and they talked about restitution when they were not converted they would go to a restaurant and they'd have their lunch or whatever it was and then they wanted to see who can leave without paying and they did it two or three times and they didn't get caught But when finally they were convicted of their sin and when finally they repented of their sin and believed and were baptized, before they did that, before they were baptized, they went back to that restaurant, wherever it was, and they confessed. When I was younger, I would come to your restaurant, I'd have a free meal and then I'd race out and not pay. I want to come back now. I want to pay for what I did. And I don't know what the, I forget what the end result was. Did he forgive them or did he take the payment? I don't know. Then the next guy went. One after the other. To the same restaurant owner. And he said to one of them, maybe the third one. says, I don't know what they preach in your church, but it must be pretty good because you're the third person that's come to this restaurant today that are paying me back for what you, did, you didn't pay me many years ago. Now, confession and restitution aren't there just to... Confession of sin. Don't earn you salvation. They do not earn you salvation. They're just fruits or evidences that God has worked in your heart and changed your heart because that's what repentance is the change of the mind what you think about God and what you think about yourself that's what Zacchaeus went through he was looking desperately it appears and he was joyful when Jesus invited him that he would sup with him he changed his mind about his own life he changes he probably could see that what he was doing was wrong because he was still a Jew he still knew the law. And when the Lord died, when the sin revived, I died, Paul says. But what it does do is, number one, 
it glorifies God. Confession and restitution glorifies God. Remember the story of Achan? When Achan had stolen that goodly Babylonian, Babylonian garment after the warning from God when they entered Jericho. <coughs> and then Joshua said, we lost the battle. There's sin in the camp. It's like Jonah on the boat, right? Jonah on the boat. Why was the boat going to sink? There was sin on the boat. And so Joshua, he begins to separate the tribes of Israel by clan and, and so forth, families. And finally, the lot fell on Achan. You know what Joshua said to Achan? He said, Achan, if I ever use his name, I don't know. Give glory to God and confess what you have done. Joshua knew who it was there. God already knew who it was. When we confess to God, we don't reveal anything new to him. But the confession that this, the Bible talks about here is acknowledgement of our sin. Like uh, David said in Psalm 51, he said, I acknowledge my sin. My sin is open, is ever open before you. Acknowledging is really admitting, and it's coming from your heart, which is a sign of repentance. Your heart has changed. Before the pride says, no, I'm not going to do that. It's shameful. I don't want to let people know because they'll have a, 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 smaller, a, a lesser opinion about me. But confession and restitution glorify God. Hiding your sin doesn't. He that hides his sin shall not prosper. But he that confesses and forsakes his sin <coughs> shall obtain mercy. Because that's the, that's the fruit that God is looking for. That John the Baptist was looking for. The grace of God is free. It is not cheap. Shall we continue in sin because grace abounds? God forbid. How shall we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? Grace, the grace of God came at a price, at a cost. Paul says to the church at the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 that the church which God has purchased with the blood of Christ. He purchased it with the blood of Jesus Christ. If, if there's anything that we need to take away from this, it's not a, it's not a sign of weakness it's not us in any way trying to keep our dignity by not confessing sin. God knows already. But we become 
far better members of the body of Christ, far more credible when we confess our sins. Whether we be young or old, God wants us to confess our sins. Because it shows that the heart has changed. You know, even in this business world, as I've been studying some human resources and, and uh, uh, operational excellence courses to get my right to act to, to visit the station, whatever it is, even this world says that it is not wrong for you to say, I don't know something, or I don't understand something, or I made a mistake here. Even their courses are saying you need, when you make a mistake, you need to report it. Because it's not just about you. It's about the safety of the whole station and public that we have to have this mindset that we need to be humble enough to say, I did this wrong. And if I, if I accidentally switched something in the fear which I shouldn't have touched, for me to walk away and say, I could put somebody else in jeopardy. I could have energized the circuit breaker so when the guy goes to, to disconnect, he, he's zapped, he's dead. When we make things right, we will receive more credibility in the future than being discovered by somebody which leads to consequences of fines and termination and things like that. And this is, this is all based on the truth of God, that God wants us to be true, that God wants us to be honest, that God wants us to be humble, and that God wants us to acknowledge our sin. To him be the glory evermore. The fact that we as Gentiles are saved is another proof that Jesus was not talking about the fleshly line of Abraham, that which Zacchaeus was part of that line. But we are the spiritual children of Abraham because he was the father of faith. And we need also be children of faith and faith alone, James 2 says, doesn't justify us. We are justified into the sense that if we believe, we can be justified for forgiveness. But if that faith is not saving faith that has the works to support it, then our faith is in vain. If our works do not reflect what we believe. It's sort of sad when the leader of India would say, I love your Christ, but I don't like Christians. Because he saw a lot of bad examples. We talked about it at the lunchtime today when people can look at one or two individuals and point to that example and say, look at you Christians. Let us not be part of that, but rather let us Demonstrate to the world, show our faith by our works. 
and God will be glorified. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.